Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Our text is verse 17, but let's read 16 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. The Word of God reads, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you. Pray that the reading and the explanation from your word may be unto edification, to the glory of Christ, to the benefit of your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. The context of this text, Pray Without Ceasing, is a turner, a a three-part instruction that pretty much represents the fabric of the inner life of a believer. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. We would not be able to do that unless we pray without ceasing. So it's right in the middle, and it is an expression of what does a Christian ought to look like, be like, where no one sees. In the heart, only God. Now, when we read, pray without ceasing, pray always, without ever stopping, it's like, huh? Is this real? Well, it is real. But how can I pray without ceasing? The problem is not with the reality of the commandment. The problem lies in, the, in our own absent-mindedness about the perils and dangers we live in. God said to Cain when he killed Abel, sin is at the door. Do we grasp the weight of those words? Sin, our sin, is knocking at the door. Always. Jesus in Gethsemane, when the disciples fell asleep after he called them to pray with him, facing the cross, he found them asleep. And he told them, you could not be on the alert with me. You could not stand with me, not even for an hour. Then he told them, watch and pray. Because the spirit is always willing. But the flesh is weak. We are aware of that. Paul to the Ephesians. Be careful how you walk. Not as foolish. Not as unwise. But as wise people, making the most of your opportunities. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. Do we grasp that? Or later on, he told them, our struggle, our fight, our battle, 
is not against flesh and blood, but it is against demonic powers, hierarchically ordered and ranked in the celestial beings. And for that fight, we need the full armor of God. It is not our armor, it is God's armor. But he told them our fight is a celestial fight. It is not with what we see, it is against powers we do not see. Or even Peter, when he wrote to believers in the diaspora, he says, be on the alert, watch. Because your adversary, the devil, is roaming about as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do we get the weight of those words? When we live in that reality, then pray without ceasing doesn't sound like some kind of hyperbole. The problem we have is that we live in the metaverse. Now Facebook is going to be called Beniverse, right? Or whatever the name it is. And, and more and more, it seems to be that our lives are in this metaverse. The other day I was in my backyard just looking at the internet and chatting with people and working. And I said, the day will come that they will just install on us this thing that people already use for games. And we will just be walking around with this visor living in this cyber world, which is not even the real world, and we will be living in the metaverse. Perhaps I'm too old to see it, but I'm pretty sure some of you will see and live through that. We're already living it in this little device. We live in that world. We see people on the streets, people driving, people talking in a restaurant. And we're in this world hooked to this device. And in this metaverse where we live, even as Christians, and I'm not talking about the internet, I'm using an example. In this metaverse where we live our day-to-day lives, there's no danger. There's a false sense of security. Even First Thessalonians says that in a previous verse. When they say peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them and that day will find them as a trap. We live in a metaverse where we do not perceive the dangers because we're too busy making money, dealing with gas prices at $5, dealing with the inflation, listening to our Fox News or to our CNN News, however band you like to pick, and just being entertained by the metaverse of daily life and not immerse in the reality of the spiritual battle we are in. But once we realize it, then pray without ceasing makes sense. Who prays at public shopping? Home Depot, Office Depot, Costco, putting gas. Who prays? What if there were an active shooter the day you are at Publix? Would you pray? Would you pray without ceasing as you're hiding? Because there's an active shooter with an AR-15 trying to kill people for the fun of it? Of course we would pray without ceasing at Publix. You see the difference? It's the same activity. It's just the awareness of the danger that changes our perspective about praying. I want to put a more positive spin on it. And I'm sad I don't have the projector to help you, but let me see how I read Debbie Conover's style. If you've ever heard Debbie reading in public, you would be 
pegged to the reading. But I don't have that ability, but I'll do my best. This is from a friend, Pastor Otto Sanchez. He writes, I read some time ago about a study conducted among couples in which the healthiest marriages indicated that they spend at least an hour talking to each other. This led the, to the conclusion that healthy couples spend more time talking than those who are less successful in their marriage relationship. And then he comments, I like to talk to Susanna, that's his wife, about many issues. And even when, when we are very different from each other, and if you know them, you realize they are completely different, just like my wife and I. I mean, completely opposite. Even though when we're very different from each other, I always have the need to talk to her. We talk about everything, from plans and dreams to disagreements. And it is not a burden for me to talk to her because I need it. And I also like it. Because when you love, you endeavor to spend time with that person and also to talk to that person. And I end the quote. So from that perspective, the sober reality of the battle we are in or the wonderful reality of the lover we have in our Savior, I want to talk from this verse from four point of views. The priorities of prayer, the petitions in prayer, the practice of prayer, and the priest in prayer. Priorities, petitions, practice, priest, all with P. Hopefully it's, it'll stick. Let's start with the priorities in prayer. And I'm, I'm springboarding from the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, when we are called to pray without ceasing, what is our priority? What should our priority be as we do it? Well, the Lord's Prayer teaches us what our priority should be. God's kingdom, glory, and will. May the name of God be esteemed and hallowed, honored, sanctified, taken and believed as worthy, as good, as gracious. May God be well spoken of. Something which doesn't happen. Now when you feel or when you find yourself being not spoken well of, don't feel bad. There is somebody who is the most criticized person on planet earth. And it's not Joe Biden or it was not Donald Trump. It is God himself person who most criticisms and complaints receives, even from his children, is God. So you're not alone when people speak evil of you. And as Solomon says, remember you too have spoken evil of others. But the prayer is, God, may that change. Father, may your name be held in the highest esteem and honor. Jeremiah 13, 17 presents a, a beautiful illustration of the prophet talking to Israel about God's judgment and God having warned them, they will not listen to you. And Jeremiah says, I will weep in secret when I see you disobeying God. Tears will flow down my eyes. Psalmy says something similar. Tears, water ran through my cheeks as I saw the rebellion of your people. Is that our heart, beloved? Do we grieve 
when God's name is dishonored. Jesus cleansing the temple said, Zeal for thy house consumes me. The disciples later remembered that. Remembered the scripture from one of the Psalms. Said, oh, that's what happened to him when they saw him angry, overturning tables, throwing away animals, and just casting people away from all the merchandry or merchandising that was being done or, or, or that was being observed at the temple. Zeal for your house, a burning passion for the glory of God consumes me. And the disciples saw that in Jesus. And pray for his kingdom. Your kingdom come. The sphere of God's domain. Eight Psalms describe the Lord reigns. God reigns. He reigns over heaven and earth. God reigns even in hell. Nothing escapes his kingdom. Nothing escapes his control. Nothing escapes the domain of his will. But when Jesus prays, thy kingdom, or teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, may the heart of people come into that kingdom willingly through gospel preaching. So as we pray, not only seeking that God's name may be esteemed, we have to pray for the preaching of the word, for the prosperity of the gospel, for the advancement of the church and of the kingdom through the labors of those who communicate the gospel, however we do it. And then, of course, we do that, as Peter says, until new heavens and new earth, where righteousness dwells, come. Until that eschatological hope is manifested on earth, and God's will will be done happily in his kingdom on earth, which is the subject of the next petition in God's priorities. Your will be done. But isn't God sovereign? Doesn't Psalm 115 says our God is in the heaven. And whatever he wills he does. Yes. Everything that happens. Happens under God's will. He is in absolute control of his creation. But God's will is not done happily. And gladly. And joyfully. As it is done in heaven by the angels. And by the spirits of the righteous perfected there. So the petition is similar. May the day comes, come when your kingdom, when your justice, when your righteousness, when your desire will be done on earth with the same promptness and joy and happiness and willingness and passion and delight that it is done in heaven. Because we do God's will, but even we Christians many times do God's will not with delight. We do it because we have to. But we don't do it. Oh, that's wonderful chocolate ice cream. No, ooh, I have to eat this lettuce. And we know we have to eat it. No, may the day come when eating that lettuce will be as passionate as a good chocolate ice cream of doing your will. And then, of course, the petitions in prayer. Our daily needs, our daily bread. Whatever we need for the sustenance of this life, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, whatever it is, we need our daily bread. We need to live here on earth. We are not disembodied spirits. We are not um, 
I don't know, we, we're not some kind of fakir who doesn't need anything on earth. We just lived in a state of eternal meditation up in the air. No. We are down here. We need to survive. We need to live. Well, give us this day our daily bread. And, and interesting that this prayer for our daily bread implies that we pray daily. Doesn't it? Because it doesn't say, give us this day our monthly bread. May my monthly salary or my bi-weekly paycheck come... No, this day I need my daily bread. We may feel we don't need it because our, our house is furnished and all the bills are paid, but we need our daily bread. Please give it to us today. Food, shelter, sustenance, happiness, whatever it is. And then when we become anxious, then remember that in the same context, Jesus says, and don't worry about your life. What shall you drink? What shall you eat? What shall you wear? Because God dresses the, 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 the grass of the field that is burned tomorrow. He feeds the birds of the air and they don't even sow or have warehouses. He will do the same for you because you are more valuable to him. Oh, you men of little faith, don't worry about it. But seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness. God knows what you have need of. God knows you have to eat. You have to pay bills. You have issues to deal with. You have medical problems. You have... Personal problems, work problems, financial problems. God knows it. Seek his kingdom first. And all these other things shall be added unto you. You're raising children. This church has a lot of young families or will be raising children. May your children know that there is one priority. One thing you will not negotiate. God's kingdom and his righteousness. I don't like to name drop, but I'm going to name drop on Pablo, Jenny's husband. For years, Pablo would not be coming to church. Pablo, what happens? We would see him once in a while. Well, not too long ago, Pablo went to his boss and says, Listen, boss, we have a problem. My family is in church and I am not because I have to work on Sundays. So I either go to church with my family on Sunday, hear the word, or... We have a problem. And the boss says, go ahead, go to church with your family. But many times we don't even bother because we think, oh, if I don't do it, I'm going to lose everything. They're going to take the house away from me. They're going to take my life. No, they won't. Because Jesus promised when you put his kingdom and his righteousness first, he will take care of business. So give us this day our daily bread. Daily sins we confess also. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And this is when the gospel comes into our praying. The proof is in the pudding. This is where the gospel meets us. Forgive us our debts when, right after I pray for my daily bread, I have to pray for my daily sins and ask for forgiveness. And as I am asking you to forgive me, I'm really hurt and I cannot forgive such and such, but please forgive him. I can't. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. But please forgive him. Don't do anything bad to them. Bless them. Because Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who cast insults at you. Pray for those who persecute you. Lord, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. God is not asking us to be any hero. Well, don't feel anything. Just endure it and love them. Yes, we love them. But God, you know I can't. I'm too hurt. Please love them. Please bless them. Please have mercy on them. May they, not, may they never find you in judgment. May they never be cast away to eternal punishment because of what they did to me. May they find your mercy as well. 
And by the way, if we cannot do that, then we don't understand the gospel, we don't understand forgiveness, we have not been forgiven. Because only those who know their sins realize that whatever people do to me is infinitely small compared to what I owe to God. And then our daily weaknesses. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Does God lead into temptation? Well, James says God cannot be tempted by evil. And he doesn't tempt anyone to evil. But God deliver me from that corner where my own passion meets the temptation. Because that's all we need. This is this, this corner that doesn't have a four-way stop, doesn't have a street light. And it's just that corner where two cars will run into each other. My own lust and the opportunity to exercise it. God, when my lust is out, please, there may not be, let me not be any temptation out there. And when the temptation is there, please put me on the other block that I don't see it. Deliver me from the evil one. And lead me not into the trial, into temptation. Even though we have that promise. That no temptation, no trial, no perasmus. Trial, temptation is the same word. Has overcome you. That is not human. But God will give you the exit. As you are being tried. Because he is faithful. And he will enable you to endure. So we pray that. But even trusting that he has already promised, you will endure. And then comes the practice of prayer. And I have another quote from my friend Otto, even though it's not his, it's quoting Ian Bounds. Probably many of you know Ian Bounds, that Episcopal, um, he was an Anglican Methodist from the last century who wrote many books on prayer. And I positive that many of you have come across one of Ian Bounds' books. So here's a quote from him. A man or a woman of God is not born, but is made in the secret chamber of communion and private devotion. Their life and deep convictions are born out of their secret communion with God. Pray. I mean, we can theorize all we want about prayer and praying. Pray. The practice of prayer. When? Always. Pray always. This is what Paul is saying. Pray without ceasing. Since you open your eyes in the morning, pray. If you dream with someone and you are waking up in the middle of the night, pray for that person. Oh, but it was a nightmare. Pray for them too. Pray. Somebody pops in your head. Pray for them. Your telephone, does, does your telephone do that to you? Does that to you that it pops out pictures of people all of a sudden at random? Oh, someone, pray for that person. Pray always, don't stop. If someone is hurting you, because we all have that, that thorn of that person at work, right? We don't, we don't even want Monday to come. This insidious customer or co-worker or associate, or teacher, or fellow student, or professor, or whatever it is. Just like, you think of that person, and you're like, pray. Lord, have mercy on them. Bless them. Do them well. Change my heart toward them. Help me be like you are. 
Pray. <laughs> Prayer is not a ritual. Prayer is fellowship with God. He's talking to God. When I'm bored, I call my wife. What are you up to? Nothing. And you? Nothing. So what's up? No, nothing. What about you? No, neither. <laughs> Do the same. You're bored. Talk to God. <laughs> Ask Him something. Praise Him. Give Him thanks. Tell Him something. Pray always. Pray for everything. Give thanks. Plead. Supplicate. Ask. Praise. Confess sin. Whatever it is. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Some of you know my oldest son. He's 32 now. And one day he told me his technique. Because you have one child that never bothers you. But you have this other one that's always something. Go to, when they're little, go to the park. Let's play. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. When they're older, ask him for things. And, ask. and one day he told me, Dad, I already measured you. I get like a 10% of my requests. So if I need 10 things, I have to ask you for 100. But I know I'll get my 10%. So I'll ask and ask and ask and ask until I get things. Well, here's what Jesus says. If your son asks you for an egg, will you give him a serpent? If he asks you for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? If you being evil, know how to get Give good things to your children. How much more your heavenly father who already gave Jesus while we were enemies. Ask. James says we do not have because we do not ask. And when we ask, we ask to spend it in our pleasure so we even ask wrong. But ask. Ask for good things. You're coming to a great king. Great petitions will you bring, says the old hymn. I'm going to use it because I put it in my notes, but, but it, this really happened to me on Friday. Coming back from Milwaukee, land in Dallas, flight canceled. The travel agency says, well, I have nothing to do for you. You need to buy another ticket that is $1,000, $1,100. And it says, give me half an hour. And I call my, my magic wife and says, get me out of here, I'm in trouble. So while I'm just running around the airport trying to see what I do, I find this priest that sits by me in one of those shuttles at Dallas Airport, if you know that airport. And I see the priest, a young man, and I start praying for him. Lord, I don't know this man, but may he know the gospel. If he knows it, may he preach it, may he teach it. May you have mercy on him. May you bless his labors as long as he's laboring for you in the gospel of Christ. And I'm praying there just, you know, for this guy that I don't know. And this lady dressed very provocative just popped through my eyes. And honestly, I didn't look with, covetousness, with coveting, but I just said, Lord, I'm, I was praying for him. I mean, I'm here praying for my body. I don't need to deal with this. Please help me. <laughs> well, that's pray without ceasing. Now, I had not prayed for my flight, to be honest. I didn't even say, oh, let me find a flight to get back home, because I knew my wife was taking care of that. So I was busy praying for the priest and all of these things. Point being, pray always, without ceasing. You don't need to spend, oh, after I read 30 minutes in the Bible, and in the morning, and I use the right language, I'll pray. Pray without ceasing. 
before sending an important email, before clicking send, Lord, please bless this because you know it's important. Before walking into a meeting, Lord, help me to shine the light of the gospel. Whatever it is you do, you mothers, before sending your children to school or your husband to work or before a pile of laundry or before your kitchen, pray without ceasing. Pray always. That's the commandment. Practice the presence of God. Remember Elisha with Naaman the Syrian? When Naaman says, Elisha, what can I give you? I'm a rich guy. You healed me. Let me get you something. And Elisha was not a prophet of prosperity. So he says, no, I don't need anything from you, dude. I'm okay. Yeah, but let me get you something. He says, no, I don't need anything. The Lord God in whose presence I stand knows I don't need anything. Go in peace. What moved Elisha to say no to the offer, to the good faith offer of gratitude of Naaman the Syrian? The Lord God in whose presence I stand. Beloved, we don't enter the presence of God. We don't let me go to the presence of God. We live. We are. We exist. We move in the presence of God. That's what Paul told the Athenians. In Acts 17, he's always there. We are always visible to him. All things are bare and naked to the eyes of him to whom we shall give an account. You can pray for anything and everything and at all times. And last but not least, the priest in prayer. Let me quote Otto again. Prayer was part and parcel of Jesus' life. He models the transcendence of this Christian practice when he prayed in different episodes of his ministry. We cannot forget who is the priest in prayer. 1 Timothy 2.5 calls him the only mediator before God and man. He says, but can't we be mediators too? Yes, we can. We Pray for me. Sure, I'll pray for you. A trick I learned from a man of God. Sometimes people say, brother, would you pray for me? What do you need? Such and such. And as you're talking to me, I'm praying. Because I can't forget. And I don't want to disappoint you in your request. So as you're talking to me, I already started praying just in case. And knowing myself, I will forget. So let me pray right away. And when I'm telling you, if you ever see an email from me saying, yeah, I'm praying for you, I already prayed. Just in case, because I don't want to be a liar. But the point being, never forget who is the only, never failing mediator between God and man. He was fully man. In all things, he was made weak as we are, except sin. And he is God of God. God of God. Light of light. True God. Begotten by true God. So he can mediate between those whom he is not ashamed to call brethren before God with whom he did not regard equality but humbled himself 
and came to take the form of a servant and be obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. But he's not just the only mediator. I, I love the fact that he's a willing mediator. The writer of Hebrews in 7.25 says that Jesus lives to make intercession for us. And I remember when that phrase caught up with me. Because some of us say, oh, I live for my children. Oh, I live for my grandchildren. Oh, I live for this or for that. Jesus lives to make intercession for his own. So as we pray, we know we have a mediator who prays and intercedes for us all the time. And he is the efficacious mediator because he told his disciples in the upper room discourse, you have not asked anything in my name so far. Ask. Ask anything in my name and you will receive it. And what is it to ask in Jesus' name? To put the the phrase in Jesus' name at the end? No. It is to come to God saying, I don't have anything to bring. I know I cannot stand in my own righteousness. I know I don't have the right to come into your presence. I know you should fulminate me right now. But there's one sitting at your right hand who paid for my sins. And you promise God, you promise that anyone who believes in him even if he is dead, shall live. So I'm coming to you because of him and in his name. And off you pray. When you pray with that mentality, you will pray for the right things. You will stop praying in this world when it's all about you. And you'll get back to these priorities in prayer and these petitions of prayer and the reality of my sin in prayer and my weakness as I pray. And then the example of Jesus praying. Let's pray like such and such prayed. No, consider Jesus. No one else to think about when we pray. He was baptized by John while he was praying. He chose the twelve after spending the night praying. It was his custom to get up early, according to one of the gospel writers, to pray. He went to the Transfiguration Mountain, took Peter, John, and James with him to pray. He was praying alone when the disciples came and he asked them, Who do men say that I am? He called the temple my father's house. It's a house of prayer. Pray all the time, at all times, for everything, through the only willing, efficacious mediator, Jesus. Prayer, to conclude, is that activity which separates Christians from non-Christians. Let me quote Charles Spurgeon on this. Charles Spurgeon is commenting on the passage in Acts 9.27 when Ananias is sent to Paul. And, and, and Jesus tells Ananias, go to the straight street and go to the house of Judas, I think it was, and ask about Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he's praying. And Spurgeon, commenting on that, says, These words are the hallmark of a genuine conversion. Behold, he prays, is a surer witness of a 
person's conversion than behold he sings or she sings or behold he or she reads scripture or behold he preaches. These things may be admirably done by men and women who are not regenerate. Anyone can preach. Anyone can sing. Anyone can read the scriptures and and even explain them without being a believer. Make no mistake that service is marked for nothing. Spurgeon says, But if in God's sense of the term, a person really prays, we may know for sure that that person has passed from death to life. Prayer is the hallmark of a believer. Now, prayerlessness may happen and does happen to true believers. But it doesn't happen too long. Because just as prayer is the breathing of the soul, prayerlessness is like holding your breath. If you are a true believer, you may hold your breath. You may love snorkeling and spend three minutes snorkeling, but you have to come up for air. The same happens with the soul of a Christian. And Christians do not need to be scared or manipulated to pray by moralizing preachers. Oh, you better pray. If not, you're not a believer. Well, that's not the way to pray. What you need to do and I need to do is come to Christ, acknowledge our sin, realize the weakness and the desperate need we have for forgiveness and for a Savior. And when we do that, believe me, we will pray. Is there anything special Required to pray. No. Just don't pray to be seen by others. Don't bother. Don't pray. Let me pray so my children see my example of praying. Don't do that. Your children will see your example. Believe me. 24-7. Don't worry about. Let them, me, let them see me as a holy person. Five minutes in the morning. They'll see you the other 24 hour times 60 or minutes of the day. Don't pray to be seen. Don't pray with mindless repetitions. Just repeating the same things and the same things. Don't pray preaching to others. I, I admit that I've done it. Sometimes I'm asked to pray. And, and it's, a, it, it's a room full of unbelievers. My friends from high school, whenever there's a dinner, Oh, Pastor G, would you pray? And my prayer is an evangelistic prayer, I know. But, but don't pray for that. Pray, pray to God. Don't, and don't pray mindless repetitions. Jesus says, the heathen believe that with their many repetitions they will be heard. Don't do that. Don't use many words. Jesus says, go to your father. Go to your secret chamber. Close the door. Talk to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Pray without ceasing. Amen. Father, bless your word, we pray. And help us as we face our weak, face our challenges, our problems, our anxieties, our fears, our concerns, our constraints. Father, help us to pray 
and to pray without ceasing and to pray through Christ, our Savior and our Lord and our Mediator. Help us to be a praying church. May we be known not by a large building, by popularity, by influencing. If we're going to be known, maybe we're known by you that we are a praying people. In Jesus' name, amen.